Well, we're now in week three of our series, The Good Book. If you're just coming today, this is your first day. This is basically a series that just kind of gives us the big ideas of the Bible. There's no way we can cover them all. Okay, there's no way, but it's kind of a balcony view of just everything from Genesis to Revelation and kind of how all that works together to tell one story, to connect the dots. I think it's important that we can do that. I think it's important that you are able to have a conversation with somebody who's asking about how this thing works, about why do you believe what you believe. I want you to be confident in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and not, not just uh, Jesus saved me, died on the cross, rose from the dead. But what was the story? How does all that work, the Old Testament into the New Testament? And that's what this is about. That's what this, this series is about. Last week, we discussed how we can learn about God and ourselves through the creation event and also then our fall into sin, Adam and Eve's fall into sin, what that means for us. If you weren't here We have so many different ways that you can watch. You can get on our app. You can go online. You can watch the podcast or listen and catch up, and I encourage you to do that. All right, our subtitle for today is When Life Gets Messy. Now, I hardly ever do a subtitle, but I just had to do this because how many can relate to that? Come on, about 10 of you. How many can relate to that? Amen. There's not a person here who can say, my life has never gotten messy. My life is perfect. Pastor Allen, I just live on the mountain twirling and dancing all day. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's not real. That's not real. You know it. I know it. Nobody's life is like that. No family is like that. No job is like that. Amen. No marriage is like that. You know what? No, not even any church is like that. Life gets messy. It goes back to the problem of sin that we talked about last week. And the Bible pulls no punches and spares no details when it comes to messy stories. And I'm glad. I'm glad about that. Because we can see our own story sometimes in those things. And depending on the response of the person or the family or even the nation to what God instructs them to do in those moments, the, the outcome is very different. Sometimes it is absolutely beautiful when they, when they bow their knee and when they humble themselves before God, they repent of their sin, whatever the, the case may be, and their, their story, their whole family is redeemed. It is absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing, and then other times it ends with absolute and utter tragedy when they don't. But we can learn from all of them, all of the stories. One of the biggest names in the Bible is Moses. Even if you're not a church person, that you're kind of new to this whole thing, you've heard of Moses. And the reason is because his life is epic. It's huge. Even Hollywood, I mean, they've discovered this. And they've made many movies, most of them bad and out of context. Some of them good. But the reason is because his life is interesting. It lends itself to great storytelling because it's so dramatic. But it definitely got messy. At times. But you know, Moses' life wasn't all high drama. Moses had a lot of downtime. A lot of, we don't talk about that. We don't think about that. They don't make movies about that part of his life. But an entire third of his life was pretty uneventful and probably monotonous and boring. 
I won't ask you to raise your hand if you feel like that's your life, okay? Just remember, just remember Moses. Now, his life can be divided. It's amazing. His life can be equally divided into three seasons. Number one, 40 years in Egypt. 40 years in Egypt. A lot of us know this story. When he was a baby, Pharaoh, he was an Israelite. Born in, he was a Hebrew. And as a baby, there was a decree out from Pharaoh to kill all the little boys. He was trying to thin out the population of that, of that uh, family, of that nation. It wasn't even a nation yet. He was just trying to thin out the population. And so his mom, in a last-ditch effort to save little Moses, builds this little basket, waterproofs it. Come on, we've all read this and, or heard about this. And she gets up in the, in the Nile River, and she just trusts and hopes. She waits for Pharaoh's daughter to come down to bathe with her attendants, and she lets Moses go float down the little river there and just trusts that this woman will have mercy, and she does. She takes Moses into her home, and he is raised in the lap of luxury with every advantage, the best education, the best food, the best clothing, the best training, And he spends 40 years in that situation until he begins to get a tug on his heart and realize, I don't really belong here. My people are out there and they're suffering. They're enslaved. And he begins to visit his people, the Israelites, and he begins to see what they're going through. And one day he's out there visiting and he sees a slave master beating one of his fellow Israelites And he intervenes, he jumps in and tries to save. And in doing that, they have a big fight and a scuffle, and he ends up killing this Egyptian. And so then he has to flee into the desert, into the wilderness, and he's there in exile. That's the second one, 40 years in exile. He spends 40 years in this desert experience. He has a family, he has a job, but he's in exile. He cannot go back. To Egypt. And then the final season is 40 years in Exodus. And this is the one that we are most familiar with. This is the one where he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. And that's the one that we know and most of the movies are about. Now, our text begins after Moses has been in exile for almost 40 years. So at, he's almost at the end of the second season of his life in exile. He's, by the way, <laughs> if y'all are doing the math, how old is he at this point? No, he's 120 when he dies. How old is he after the second season? 80. 80. He's 80 years old, or thereabouts, at the end of this second season. He has a family. He has kids, grandkids. He has a job and responsibilities. And listen, everybody look at me. Egypt was a distant memory. He had hopes and dreams about helping his people at one time, but that is all but faded and gone. I wonder, before we actually get into this story, everybody listen to me, that if your life, because of the routine, because of just trying to make ends meet, just trying to supply for, take care of your family, just doing life, amen, has caused some of the early hopes and dreams and plans to fade in your life, to be overwhelmed in your life. Maybe out of necessity, you feel like, you abandon some of those things to to grow up. Or maybe you feel like God abandoned you in those things and that he became silent and he didn't come through. Can we be real? 
Come on. It may not be true, but we might feel that way. Can I add a, a, a third possibility? Maybe God is preparing you in this season for something even greater. It's one of the hardest lessons in the faith that we can possibly learn. Look at the screen. Just because life isn't currently to our liking doesn't mean it's without purpose. Sometimes God uses the desert to prepare us for our next duty, for our next assignment. I know it's true in my life. You may have a different story, but I know God used the desert in my life. About 10 years ago, I was serving in a church. Good people, come on. Don't take me wrong when I talk about these experiences, okay? You're, you're thinking to yourself, well, in 10 years, he's going to be talking about us. No, I, I, I won't. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I hope I'm still here in 10 years. But anyway, 10 years ago, I was in a church, and I was only there for, I was a worship pastor, music. I was only there for 14 months. I still feel a residual emotion of failure from that. Never been anywhere that short amount of time. But I'm telling you, everything I tried to do was met with resistance. Can I tell you that nothing comes easy in the desert? Nothing comes easy in the desert. Water doesn't just flow on top of the ground. If you want water, you have to work. You have to dig for it. You either dig in the desert or you die. There is no in-between. You either dig or you die. So I'm in this situation. I'm in the desert. I'm not being fed. The senior pastor, he never got any traction either. He kept changing the vision, trying to appease the people. There was this one faction of people that just would not do anything. They wanted it to be, they were living in the 1970s or the 80s or something. They didn't want it to change. They didn't want to move forward with God. And so everything we did was met with resistance. And so I was drying up. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I was spiritually just dry up and God shook me and said you're going to have to dig into the word of God for yourself if you want to survive I feel the Holy Spirit you're going to have to learn to feed yourself and now looking back at that difficult time I realized he was preparing me for what I do every single week in my purpose here God uses the desert God uses the desert sometimes. This is exactly the season that Moses finds himself in our text. Everybody look at me. Maybe, maybe it's the season that you're in. Maybe you feel like you're in that dry place and you're in that desert right now. Well, listen to me. What God did and does for Moses, he will do for you. Father, in Jesus' name, let your Holy Spirit, we've been singing about the Holy Spirit overwhelming our life. Come, Lord, and make your word rhema. Let it be a right now word. Let it be prophetic. Let it be powerful. Let it be real. And let it go deep into our life. Let it be life-changing in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I'm in Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It's, on, it's in the New Living Translation on the screen. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness or the desert and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now the Israel team, just a couple of weeks ago, we were there. We were there. Let me tell you something. It is a dry, rocky, barren, lonely 
place. And so just imagine it. That's where he's at. And he's married. He has a family. He has a job. He's working for his father-in-law. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on. Y'all laugh. Listen, loosen up a little bit. Give me a break. And remember, he's 80. All right? Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I've got to go see. Now, brush fires were not unusual. Okay, a lightning strike or whatever, start a fire, and it's a desert. Okay, there's no water. So, but whatever was burning would usually burn up and burn out. So Moses is like, you know, he's, what meaneth this? It's like the thing is not, little King James there for you, because that's what Moses spoke. You knew that. King James Hebrew. Anyway, anyway, that's bad. So this thing is not burning up. It's not being consumed. So he goes over there. Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied, do not come any closer the Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. So why this command to take off his shoes, take off his sandals? There's a lot of theories and a lot of, I've heard a lot of different things. Since I'm preaching, I'm going to give you mine, okay? In that period of time, slaves were not allowed to wear shoes. It was actually a sign that you were a slave. You did not have Shoes. So many scholars, and I believe that this command initially was given so that Moses could help him to get his head right, his heart right, and begin to lean in towards this idea that things were about to change and lean into the idea of service to the king, to, the, to God. And I think this makes perfect sense because the last 40 years, the dude's been doing whatever he wanted. Come on, he's, he's had... We, we, he's, been in the desert. He's been with the family. He's not really had any great responsibility. And he's 80, so he's a little bit old, and he's got a little bit set in his ways. I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm already set in my ways. I must be the only one in the house. Come on. But you know what I found? Being set in my ways gets in my way. Kathy's dying to say Amen. She's, 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 she's being very honorable right now, <laughs> respectful. But being, come on, I'm a routine person. Anybody else like me? Or you just like to fly through the day and just skip through the day? Oh, no, listen, I am set in my ways. I like a routine, but you know what? Being set in my ways gets in my way, and it will get in yours. I'm convinced that I probably am missing and not receiving some of the blessings of God because I get set in my ways, and I get stubborn, and I don't hear everything he's trying. I'm convinced there may be some things I'm supposed to be doing that I don't because I'm set in my ways. Am I the only one in the house? Only four of us. Okay, well, let's pray. No. I'm just being honest. It gets in our way sometimes. Next page. <laughs> Moses, Moses' life was about to drastically change. And this small act of humility would assist him in getting his head right, his heart right, and in tune with the significance of this meeting with God. 
in the desert. Let's see what happens. Verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face, and he was afraid to look at God. Anybody ever met anybody famous? Raise your hand. I'm talking A-list. I'm not talking about C-list somewhere now. I'm talking about A-list. Raise your hand. Seriously, who'd you, who'd you meet? Yeah, y'all. Who's your sister? I'm Jennifer Dowell from Sugarland. Oh my word, your sister is who? From Sugarland? Oh my gosh, we've got it. Yeah, all right. Woo! Was your sister in law? I guess it counts though. Michelle, who'd you meet? Okay, who else? Raise your hand. Robert? Shaquille? Shaq? You, you met him too, didn't you, Bronco? Bronco met Shaq on a radio interview he did. Hall of Famer, Otis Nixon. Otis Nixon for the John Smoltz. Who? Randy. All right. Who else? One more. I couldn't hear you. Harry Connick Jr. A list for sure. Now, here's the other question. How did you act when you met? Were you calm? cool and collected, or were you nervous out of your mind? I've got a little story. The year was 1981. <laughs> I was a kid, little kid, and I just, wanted, I just want to say this. All of you who are either much older or much younger, I just, I'm sorry that you didn't get to grow up in the 80s. That's all I'm saying. The 80s rock! <laughs> Best movies! Best, oh, come on, the music, though, come on. At least they weren't doing auto-tune, okay? All right. All right, listen, 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 all right. So, my whole world revolved around Friday night at 8 o'clock with the Dukes of Hazard. All right, I'm a kid, I'm a, I'm a boy, I'm an all-boy, and at that time we used to play outside, they don't do that anymore, but listen, any show where you have to crawl through the window of the car because the door is welded shut is just awesome, okay? And they, and they, they jump the car like all the time. And so these, these Duke brothers or whatever, they, they were like my, you know what I mean when I say idol, right? I'm not like worshiping, but they were like, had posters and the whole thing. And Bo was my favorite one played by John Schneider and all of that. And so my dad worked for IBM in those days. We were living in Marietta at the time. And IBM in the 80s, man, they just had, it was like, they had money. I mean, they were just doing parties. They would, like, rent out six flags for us and just all kinds of stuff. They had this party, and they brought in John Schneider. And so I heard about this, and I knew it was going to happen. It was, like, weeks in advance. And so you can imagine this little kid, like, more than Christmas, okay? This little kid's, ah, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to meet my idol. I'm going to meet John Schneider. I'm going to meet Bo, okay? And so the night comes. By the way, my sister was also looking forward to this night, and she had more posters than I did, but it wasn't because of the Dukes of Hazard. okay? Anyway, so we get to this night, and there's the line. We come around a corner, and there he is, and there's this line. And so we get in line, and my heart's pumping, and I'm getting nervous. My hands start getting sweaty, and as we get closer and closer, I get more and more afraid. Not, not like nervous, afraid, like I'm not going to be able to talk. And I get up there, two, there was like two more people, and I, I think it was my dad, because my dad 
my dad did whatever I wanted, and he, he, we got out of line. I told him I wanted to get, I was like, I can't do this. Let's get out of line. My mom would have made me do it because she knew I would have regretted it later. So we, got, we get out of line. My sister stays in line. She goes up there and smacks him right on the lips with just, bam. <laughs> they would have arrested her these days for that. Or him one because she was 14 at the time. But anyway, she... I totally melted down. I totally was, was just got nervous and afraid for meeting this guy. Well, Moses met God. And this was before Jesus, okay? This is before he came and died for our sin. This is, he met God. I think that eclipses any famous person or, or a situation that we can possibly imagine. So understandably, he was a little shaken up. He was terrified. Verse 7, then the Lord said to him, told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Bezerites, Hivites, Jesuites, and all the other ites, that's right, live. Now, in the Bible, when you hear the word Egypt, you need to think of the word sin. Everybody say Egypt. Egypt. Sin. Sin. It's a parallel all through the Bible. We, the Israelites, were enslaved to the Egyptians, just like we are enslaved to sin before we meet Christ. The whole story of this is, is, is a type and shadow of, of our condition in sin before we meet Christ. Moses is a type of Messiah, a Savior, a Rescuer, and his life foreshadows what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Now, in this verse, God was telling Moses that he was aware of the problem. He was aware of the suffering of his people, and the waiting was over. Deliverance was coming. And he tells us the same thing through this story. Everybody look at me. God knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He has never stopped working in your life. He sees the pain and the suffering. He is about to do a work in your life. But he also wants you to know, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, that his grace through Christ is enough to get you through. His grace is enough. Look at the screen. Sometimes God delivers us immediately, but other times he gives us extra grace to make it through. Sometimes he does it immediately. How many love those times? Hallelujah. That's what we all want. But sometimes, and and maybe it's more often than not, he simply provides extra grace, more grace to see us through. Why? Because there's somebody coming behind you who's going to go through the same thing. And once you make it through, come on, you can take their hand. You can testify. You can say, look, let me tell you about what God did for me. I know exactly what you're going through because I've been there. But let me just tell you about how his grace saw me through. That's what I'm talking about. I think about, I think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed over and over. We don't know exactly what it was. He never names it. Some think it's a physical ailment or emotional or spirit. I think my opinion is that it was some kind of a struggle, 
some kind of a, of a fleshly struggle. Because in Romans 7, he says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I end up doing is what I don't want to do. Does that sound familiar? That's a struggle. Whatever it is, he prays over and over and over again that God would deliver him from it. And finally, God speaks and says, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. Verse 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. All right, real quick history lesson here. Israel is in this situation because it goes back hundreds of years. In Genesis chapter 12, five, six hundred years before Moses was even born, God told Abraham that through him a nation would be born, and through that nation the whole world would be blessed. We talked about that in our last series. The promised son was who? Isaac. The nation was Israel. And the eventual blessing that would come was none other than Jesus. Now, Isaac would have a son named Jacob, and then God would change Jacob's name to Israel. And then through a crazy set of events and stories that I wish we had time to dive, we don't have time to dive into them, Jacob or Israel would have 12 sons that would become the 12 people groups or the tribes of Israel. Now, because of a severe famine in Canaan, this family, it was a family, this large family commuted or they migrated to Egypt because they had food. And again, we don't have time to get into the reason why. That was because of Joseph who was there. God put there and placed there supernaturally to provide for them. So this family stays in Egypt because they have food, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until one day they get so large that they become a national security threat. And so Egypt overthrows them, overpowers them, and enslaves them. Life was messy for this group of people. It it became intolerable. But after 400 years, next time you get impatient with God, Just remember, 400 years, God said, it's time. It's time to act. And he was going to use Moses. He was preparing Moses to accomplish his will. Verse 11, but Moses protested. Anybody argue with God? Y'all were quick to answer on that one. Moses protested and said, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' response is like ours so many times. Who am I? He no doubt was remembering how he lived in the lap of luxury for 40 years in the palace and did nothing to help while his people suffered. He was no doubt reliving this gruesome fight that he had with the Egyptian that left blood on his hands. He was certainly thinking about the exile and 40 years in the desert of basically doing nothing, letting his dreams die, letting this this desire to help his people die. Who am I, God, that you would pick me? I'm the last person on earth that you should use. Have you ever felt that way? You hear stories about people, like, like Cody was talking about just a minute ago. You, know, you hear stories about people getting money and, and after they give and all this. You hear stories. You hear these stories about people being used so mightily of God and immediately going through your mind is there's no way it could be me. Never going to be me. My life, my past was too bad. 
too many mistakes. My present is still messy. God will never use me. I'll never have a story like him or like her. Folks, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, get this. Look at the screen. Perfection has never been a prerequisite to walking in God-given purpose. Perfection has never been a prerequisite for walking in purpose and being used of God. Come on, Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham had a problem with lying. Jacob battled insecurity and fear. Moses had a temper, we'll find out. Rahab was a prostitute. David committed adultery. Elijah suffered from depression. Most of the disciples were egomaniacs trying to move and maneuver to get next to Jesus and to be his second in command. Peter betrayed the Lord. Paul struggled, like we talked about, with something so bad that he wouldn't even name it. Listen to me. I'm not talking about a license to sin. I'm not talking about, well, fine, I'll just go do whatever and still be. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is this. Having all of our issues resolved has never been a prerequisite to being used by Almighty God. Give him praise if you believe it. I told somebody the other day, just this past week, I mean, my goodness, if, if all we use our leaders in this church that have their life together, we wouldn't have anybody serving in the church, including in the position of senior pastor. Come on. Moses said, who am I? I've been out of this thing for 40 years, God. I haven't done anything but watch sheep for 40 years. I've been in the desert for 40 years. You must have the wrong guy. Verse 12, God answered, I will be with you. In my book, I'm thinking, shut up and listen a second, Moses. It's not going to be you. It's going to be me in you. It's going to be me working through you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And they would. But Moses protested again. How many of y'all just continue to argue with God? I know you do. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then, what should I tell them? Verse 14, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Woo! Now, in these few verses, we have mentioned some of the biggest names in the entire Bible. You have Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the Mount Rushmore of the Bible. Can you see it? I mean, it's like totally, but listen to me, one of the biggest, oh, come on. There's no other name like I am. There's no bigger name than I am. Now, I know you're thinking, wait a minute, we just sang about the name of Jesus. Oh, hold on. Hold on. We're not done yet. One of the biggest ideas of the Bible is the name of God and what that means for you and what that means for me. First, look at the screen. Our God is not stuck in the past. Once you are forgiven of a sin, once you have that thing under the blood, he will never bring it back up to you again. He is not stuck in the past. He is preparing you for the future. He is a right now God. He is working now in your life. Give him praise if you believe it. 
His name. His name also sets his true identity apart from human expectations. In other words, God is as he chooses to be, not as we might wish him to be. God is as he chooses to be, not as he's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a Burger King God, a made-to-order God. God will not be placed or put in a box. Can you imagine if the character and person of God was decided by us? Come on, we're so fickle. We change from moment to moment. I started to say day to day, day to day. It's moment to moment. But God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is bigger than any definition that we can come up with. He is eternal, and his name is I Am. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and praise him. This name is so significant that Jesus Jesus uses it to describe himself seven times. In the book of John, look at this on the screen. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Now now you say, well, pastor, he's just describing himself. He's not using it that way. (laughs) Jesus knew the word. He is the word. He knew exactly what he was saying when he used I am. He knew the audience who he was talking to would know exactly what he was. He was doing no less than saying, look, I am God in the flesh. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In closing, Moses would spend his remaining 40 years doing what we all know, what we know the story, the Exodus, leading the people out of Egypt. But what he discovered in the desert, come on, we've got to get a hold of it. Look at the screen. Our lifelong adventure begins with knowing God's name. Our lifelong adventure, our purpose, our mission begins with knowing, and not just knowing about God. Not just knowing information. Come on, the devil knows that. Satan knows this book better than you do and better than I do. The Bible doesn't save us. Knowing the Bible doesn't save us. What do you truly believe? Come on, everybody focus in. What do you truly believe about Jesus? Because listen to me. He is either God or he was crazy. There is no in-between. There's none of this, well, he was a good man, he was a good teacher, and he was a moral... No, no, no. He claimed to be God. So he is either God or he was crazy because if he's God, he's alive. If he was crazy, he's dead. I believe that Jesus is the great I am. Hallelujah. And that everything that matters in this life is wrapped up in knowing him. 
As I study Moses, I, in the seasons of his life, I, I notice some, some similarities. I'm not saying I'm like Moses. It's all right, calm down. But I notice some similarities in the seasons. Now, my story is different. Yours may not be at all like this, and that's fine. But, and obviously, our seasons are a little quicker. We don't live to be 120 anymore, so they're shorter. But my first season of childhood, teenage years, and college, we weren't wealthy, but they were easy. My parents took care of me. There was never any abuse. My parents are still together. There was never abuse. They supported me in, 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 in all the good things I wanted to do and all the stupid things, too. Come on, somebody. They're like, yeah, I'm sure he's going to play the trumpet for, you know, anyway. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that they supported me. And I think about Moses' life in the palace where he had everything kind of given to him. And then I became a worship. I went into full-time ministry. The next 20 years were wonderful, but there were some desert. I shared about some of those moments. There were some desert times, some difficult times, and also some wonderful times. But now I'm headed, I'm, I'm in the infancy of that third season, which is senior leadership, what I'm doing right now. And there are days when I think I'm doing pretty good and God allows me to build a little bit of confidence, not arrogance. I've been there, bought the t-shirt. It doesn't work. Does not work. Older now, realize it's all God. It's all him. But then there's other days when I feel a little bit more like Moses. I have to admit a little bit this week, like it didn't matter what I said or did this week. It seemed like it was like, anybody have a week? Come on. Oh, my goodness. Come on. I'm the only one? All right, all right, all right, you gave up your shot. There are those days, there are those weeks that I feel like, but you know what I've noticed about God? He uses all of it. He can use the good, the bad, and the messy in our story to mold us and to make us and to prepare us into a masterpiece for his glory and his honor and his kingdom. Aren't you thankful that he never gives up on you? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't put you on a shelf and go, well, that one too many times with that one. (laughs) Come on, we laugh, but that's exactly how we feel sometimes. Everybody has certain struggles and things that you deal with, and you do it one more time, and it's like, God, you've got to be tired of me. You've got to be, you're, that's not how God thinks. When you feel condemnation and being pressed down and oppressed, that is not God. That is the enemy. And God never gives up. I'm not telling you it's okay to sin. What I am saying is that God still loves you. And God is waiting on you to return to the cross and let him put his arms of love around you and forgive you, set you back up and move you along in your purpose again. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same. It never changes. God is not giving up on you. Don't give up on him. Let me ask you one final question before we pray. What season are you in? What season are you in? Maybe you are in the desert. Maybe, like I said, it is dry. 
and you don't even sense God's presence, let me tell you something. He is I am. He is present. He is there. You may not sense him. You may not feel him. But come on, faith is not about feelings. You may not feel him, but I promise you he is there and he is working behind the scenes because he is a present God. He is at work in your life. 